This podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone, welcome to Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite things, books. I'm Emma. And I'm Nina. How was your week? It's been mixed, to be honest. Right in the middle of my week, I had a catch-up planned with some high school friends who I hadn't seen for a really long time, which was really lovely. But because I have a chronic illness, it also meant that I have to plan my entire week around that kind of event. So it meant that for two days before that, I had to do absolutely nothing aside from basically just reading, which was kind of nice, actually. Mm. And then unfortunately, it also meant that my body has reacted quite badly to the after effects of that. It, it took more out of me than I had even expected. Like I already expected it to take quite a lot out of me, but my basically I didn't give myself enough time to recover from it properly and long story short it was four days ago and I'm still not feeling great (laughs) to be completely honest but I'm here and I apologize in advance if if my words don't make as much sense as usual. No no worries I think everyone listening to this knows that this is you know chill casual just for (laughs) fun. We like to make this as just like homey and relaxed as we can I think. Out of curiosity, what what do your symptoms feel like when you go through an event like that? So basically, I all day yesterday was in bed because I could barely think or move because I was in a lot of pain and like just really bad brain fog. And um, I was just lis- I was basically just listening mm. to an audiobook all day, which on the one hand is nice because like I got a whole other book read, but I uh, also couldn't get done the stuff I actually needed to get done. I basically just spent all day just too exhausted and physically tired to do anything, essentially. Yeah, that's really intense. Takes a whole day out of your uh, a couple of or days. A couple of days. Couple of, yeah, like. yeah. Well, it probably it's it's honestly part, partly my own fault because it it could have been less than that. It could have been like one day if I'd taken. So I caught up with my friends on the Thursday night. If I'd taken the Friday to rest properly, then I probably would have been okay. Mm. But I felt semi-all right, which, benefit of hindsight, was probably mostly adrenaline. Right. So I decided to get a couple of things done on Friday. And it was a mistake. It was a mistake because by Saturday I felt like death and then Sunday was awful. So now it's Monday morning as of my, you know, Monday morning my time when we're recording and I still don't feel great. So this is a a very, very common, anyone else who's listening who has chronic illness will be extremely familiar with this pattern of behavior and it's extremely easy to fall into. I'm trying not to be too hard on myself because we all do it. Pacing is hard and for anyone else who's listening who recognizes this pattern of behavior, who does this yourself, it's okay. We all make mistakes. Doesn't matter how much we know how our bodies work we still will misread our own signals sometimes so it's okay we all do it and i'm saying this to myself it's a new week it is it's a new week (laughs) every day is a new day we move forward thanks for sharing 
How was your week? My week was good. You know, I say good just as the default reaction. It was a good week, though. It wasn't anything too exciting. I did see some old friends. Mm. I'm still catching up with everyone from getting back because my first few weeks, I was like totally exhausted, yeah. didn't leave the house, detoxing from the semester. And then I had a week where I thought I was going to get out and then I got COVID. You know, mm. I've already been over this. But basically, I've been in the last few weeks trying to like reach out to all my friends who I haven't seen in the two months now that I've been home. So I've seen a few people and that was really nice and just worked. Though I had a pretty hectic week in reading. My mm. week in reading really went off the rails. <laughs> I think it was a combination of just when you've got all this momentum building up from so much reading, you're bound to like crash and burn in some <laughs> way, you know? Whether it's like an actual, like your body needs a crash and burn or you're mentally like, there's no way I'm going to keep going like this, you know? Mm. You just so, you sabotage yourself. I don't know exactly what it was, but I had a crazy week in reading. I started I think like six different books and <laughs> I only finished one basically yeah <laughs> because okay let me break it down for you here's what happened it's the last week of January and I'm torn between a few different stressors not like bad stressors but just you know pressures so there's the pressure to finish my reading challenges for January mm -hmm. right that's one of them the other stressor which I think I've recognized has motivating my reading a lot is the fact that I've been just in order to kick everything off my TBR before I even like add it so that I don't have this TBR that goes over 100 for this silly rule that I made up. I've just been ordering it straight to the library as soon as I add it to my TBR. Mm -hmm. That means that I had a lot of books build up on my library list, uh -huh. you know, the ones that have come in. And uh, basically when the week started, I was reading Iona, right, which I talked about last time. And I'm still reading it, but I was reading Iona and I was like, uh, I really want to read The Survivalist because it came in at the library, but I couldn't get it because I had work and it closes before I get out of work and all this stuff. So I was waiting till Thursday when they stay open late. On Monday I was reading Iona and I was like, okay, this is good, but I have one other book that's also due soon. Essentially, I was reading Iona because it was due soon and I didn't have my survivalist book, but I have this other book that also is due soon and it was shorter. So I was like, okay, I'll pick it up instead. So I pick up a second book on Tuesday and then Wednesday, I'm like, you know what? I really want to read survivalist. I only have one more week of January. Let me just leave work early to go pick up that book from the library. Wednesday, I put down the other book and I pick up the survivalist. <laughs> Thursday comes around, I'm reading Survivalist, and I check my library app, and it says that the books, which I knew were due soon, but I didn't know how soon they were, and I kind of vaguely thought I could maybe renew them to have them for longer. I tried to renew them, I couldn't, and I found out they're due on Tuesday. So I was like, ah, oh, brap, now I have to, <laughs> now I have to put down Survivalist because that's not due for like three weeks because I just picked it up, and I have to go back to these other books that I read. So instead, I started reading reading the second book, which I'll get into, I'll describe in a bit. It's called mm -hmm. When I Sing Mountains Dance by Irene Sola. And it was really good. It was so good that I decided... I don't want to read this right now. I want to buy it. So I don't need to read it while I have this library, you know, period, because, because I'm just going to buy it and I'll have unlimited time to read it. So I'm going to put this one down. I started that again on Thursday and put it down again. And then Friday comes around and I pick up Iona again. And this is all mixed in with the fact that during work I read audiobooks and I finished one Shakespeare 
I started another Shakespeare, but I didn't finish it. And I started a short nonfiction read, but didn't finish that one either. So I all in all have one book to report, even <laughs> though I picked up six books this week. And I really don't feel like I'm behind okay. in any sense of the word. So I think it was okay. worthy. It was okay. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worried that this happened. So I'll get, I'll get into this book that I read or I started and thought was so good mm-hmm. that I'm gonna buy it. I just anticipate it being like a, a four star or above book. So it's called When I Sing Mountains Dance. It's translated from the Catalan by mm. Mara Fay Lethem. And it's really, really beautiful. Mm. It is this love letter to the Pyrenees, every chapter. And this took me a minute to really understand. I had to go back and do some rereading because it's a bit confusing at first because I didn't read a blurb as usual. This is definitely a book to maybe read a blurb on. <laughs> but every chapter is from the perspective of a different element of the environment. Some chapters mm. are from the perspective of the people in this mountain town, while other chapters are from the perspective of like the lightning or the mountain mm. itself or a baby deer. And you get like its whole life cycle in this like five page summary. It almost feels like little essays, but it does move somewhat chronologically in mm. time. It's really, really beautiful and super peaceful to read. And I... I'm really looking forward to reading it. I would be happy to read it now, but I have to give it to the library and I know I'm going to buy a copy. It also has a really stunning cover. Mm. I I think this is just beautiful. Look at that. Oh, lovely. Like the colors. Yeah. It's been really interesting to read. I think I got like 50 pages in and it's so stunningly beautiful and atmospheric. Maybe a great travel read. Mm. I mean, of course you want to like be focused on the place that you're in, but maybe a good beach read. Like something where when you have the time and the space, it really transports you in a way that mm. you don't get from a lot of books. Kind of reminded me of, I don't know, like Virginia Woolf or something. Very like stream of consciousness and atmospheric about the people and the little things, mm. you know, not super plot heavy, but in a way that's totally comfortable and not overwhelming. Because it's a pretty short book. It's under 200 pages. Mm. So I anticipate a high reading from that one. Fantastic. What was your week in reading like? And what have you started or finished reading before I go on to the rest of my list? I finished two books and I've started a third. I literally just started the third one this morning. So the first one I finished was Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Seven. Really? Yes. So that's what I spent the vast majority of my week reading because I was reading that one ebook digitally because that's what my library had available. It was beautiful. It was really well written, of course, as you'd Mm. expect from all the hype. Yep. It is for the, you know, two of you out there who may by some miracle have not heard about this book. It's about two people who meet as childhood friends. They're both really into games. They meet again later in life and decide to create a game together and then it kind of delves into the complications of what happens when the game becomes quite popular and when the company becomes quite popular what happens when elements of fame you know small small time fame because you know let's face it game developers aren't exactly like 
A-list celebrities, but, you know, like it is a level of fame, you know. Right. What happens to friendships with varying elements of like when friends are also working together as colleagues and all this other kinds of stuff. It's beautifully written. It's probably not a coincidence that the cover art that's chosen for this book is the classic Japanese picture of the tsunami waves because this this book is just full of light and dark waves and that that's kind of the overall story arc essentially is that it's a really beautiful balance of that light and dark and these people having to ride the waves of life essentially and Mm. it's yeah it's it's exceptionally well done can highly recommend to practically anyone i did knock it down a quarter of a star so it didn't quite make it to a five star rating for me personally because the conflicts involved relied a little too heavily on miscommunication Mm. for my taste (laughs) right which i think because i went into this book expecting you know it was incredibly incredibly you know hyped by everyone and i had those incredibly high expectations and so having one of the main conflict elements over and over again be miscommunication especially between two characters that are supposed to be very deep friends from childhood that kind of thing like there are reasons why they have trouble communicating so it's not annoying so to speak but it did seem to me like it was used a little too much just for my personal taste. Grading is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, just, just like a little bit grading, yeah, essentially. So that's okay. that's where it lost just that little bit for me. So I couldn't quite give it a full five-star rating. But all in all, an incredibly engaging read and done very well. And the amount of knowledge and research that's gone into the actual game elements of it is really nicely done there's like a little notes section at the end that's clearly been put in there for game nerds who read this and are like ready to comment on things that are wrong (laughs) she's like i know this is wrong but for narrative purposes like it's like all ready to go which i thought was really funny funny enough rf kwong also put that in babel for people who are like extreme oxford history nerds she was like (laughs) i understand that i imagine this building in this area and it's not actually in this area but blah 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 she had this whole introduction that was like all these little um like footnotes on the differences she made she's like well i made these decisions for you know specific purposes and blah 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 and i was like wow there are people out there who will correct you on the locations of different buildings in oxford i mean i believe it but it's just funny it was such a niche like sensitive topic you know yeah well no and it makes perfect sense like if i were someone who'd been there or like if i was super into this particular game or whatever like i would totally be someone who would be like oh no oh no oh no like i wouldn't probably reach out to them but it would irritate me right and then like having that note at the end acknowledge that that was a choice made on purpose would make me feel like like, ah, okay, it's okay, they get it, it's okay, you know? You know, actually, now that I think about it, I have that too, because that's how I felt about the goldfinch when she was describing this scene in the Met and how he was going through these different rooms, which, I mean, it's been a while since I worked at the Met, but from my memory, I know that the conservation labs are not (laughs) on the same floor as the European paintings, so I was like, you you know, it wasn't like I was mad at her, I was just like, haha, I know this, and I don't think this woman does. Yeah, exactly. I could be totally wrong, but that's how I felt at the moment. Yeah, well, there you go. Tangent aside, I'm glad that you liked it. I'm so excited to read it myself. It's very good. And it covers emotional topics really beautifully, like various elements of grief and trauma and all this other kind of stuff, but not kind of in your face, just sort of comes along. Well, in your face in the 
same way that it is in like John Green books, you know, like it's right. like it occasionally will just kind of womp you over the head, but in like a beautifully emotional <laughs> way. Like, yeah. like you do get a bit of a shock factor every now and again, but it's not like a gruesome. It's more just kind of like a, oh, oh my God, my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Can recommend. Ah, I'm so excited, especially because no one talks that much about it, like in detail. Like, I don't think I've experienced any spoilers or really any sense of the plot beyond they get famous from a video game. Like, I know that there have been some content warnings I've seen here and there, but I have no clue what Mm. it is. And I just know it's going to be good. And I'm so excited. I feel like I should read it sooner rather than later to avoid accidentally coming across something because they're like, well, it's been out for a year now. So... (laughs) I guess I can talk about this. Yeah. No, you cannot. Agreed. I mean, you and I are so careful with spoilers. The only things we don't bother with spoilers for are like Shakespeare and Jane Austen. And even then with Jane Austen, we're kind of careful because we want people to enjoy them. (laughs) So like. Exactly. Also, Shakespeare is just so short that it's like, uh, by the time I've told you, you've probably read the entire book. Anyway, (laughs) um, speaking of Shakespeare, I think I will skip over a discussion of either Iona or the survivalist because I think I did that significantly in past episodes in the first First episode of the new year, we talked about the survivalists and last episode we talked about Iona. So I will go on to my next read, which I completed, which was The Merry Wives of Windsor. I have not heard of this one at all. Yeah, it's not a very popular one. I would say it's... I don't think it has bad reviews, you know? I don't think it's a disliked Mm. one, but it's just a lesser known. I think this is the first one I've literally never heard of. Yeah, it's a small one. I didn't know about it before I did my research Mm. on my list. Mm. But what's funny is I haven't actually watched that show, Downton Abbey. I think my mom has watched it. I have. I love it. Caught onto things. And I do like historical period pieces, but this kind of reminded me of that because it's Mm. all about like court drama. I mean, not like a regal court necessarily, but like nobility and their fair and their drama and their gossip and it is still Shakespearean in a way that like clearly translates to all of his other work and the hijinks that he creates Mm -hmm. but at least the accents in the audiobook that I listened to were very particular Mm -hmm. in a way that kind of surprised me because I kind of associated that period with being later than early 1600s but maybe it wasn't maybe it just was present in all British history it's Mm -hmm. just like the gossipy Windsor wives you know pulling tricks on their husbands and the husbands who want to sleep around and Mm -hmm. it, it was just funny it was very silly it was easy to understand it was a short read I would say it didn't like strike me as anything like super special Mm -hmm. so I think I'm putting it in the 3.75 category Mm -hmm. because I would say there are other books to read over it but it was not a bad read I had no complaints you know it's an easy quick one just a bit of fun yeah just a bit of fun it was definitely fun there were moments where I was actually laughing too so that's good that's great yeah you know especially now that I've read so many of these Shakespeare's and they follow a very specific format or structure I have a feeling I'm gonna feel this more and more like I don't think I'm gonna reread as you like it I'm coming up on that one I think Mm. in one or two plays it'll be as you like it I was debating I was like ah should I reread it but it was only a couple months ago but it was a couple months ago you know what I mean but I don't think I am because I don't think it's gonna stick out as like a new favorite for any reason I've had a few that I've gone back and like second guessed my ratings of particularly Mm -hmm. the Taming of the Shrew I've actually bumped that one up to 
to a 4.25, which is the you highest rated You did seem to Shakespeare. really love that So one. I definitely think yeah. I really loved it. And I yeah. rated it a 4 at the time, but I think it stuck with me, which is kind of what mm. led to me bumping it up. And also, I recently rewatched 10 Things I Hate About You, which <laughs> has also now made it to one of my favorite movies list, you know? That's pretty cool. Love that movie. I forgot how adorable and amazing it is. It's so freaking cute. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's my, my Shakespeare tangent. The next book I read was Paradise by Abdul Razak Gurna, which was the pick for the Reading Around the World book club. That was our pick for Tanzania. He was born in Tanzania. He now lives in Britain. He's you know lived in Britain for a while. He's got a British citizenship, so no translator for this one. But it's set in Tanzania, and you know he's a Tanzanian-born author, so obviously still well and truly counts <laughs> for a Tanzanian book. So Paradise, essentially the premise of this one is that a boy has been, at the age of 12, sold by his father. Well, sold isn't quite the right word. Basically, his father has been indebted to an Arab merchant for quite some time and when he can't pay back his debts he basically has to give over his son to be basically used as a slave for the Arab merchant to be able to trade with essentially. This is set just before World War One, like towards the end of the book, they make reference to there's hearsay that the Germans are about to go into war with England. So that's kind of the, the setting we're at is like late 1800s, early 1900s. It's essentially about this boy growing up and going through it's a yeah, it's essentially a coming of age story happening while the boy is moving from place to place as part of these trade deals. And there's not so much of a kind of overarching plot. It's more just kind of, yeah, coming of age story really is the most accurate way to describe it. But it's a very gritty and dense coming of age story because of the setting and the context of <laughs> of the whole. Right. He's been sold by his own father, being taken by what is essentially a very high stakes loan shark. I very much enjoyed this. I am having trouble putting into words any proper descriptions about it because it's a very dense and complex book. I gave it a 4.5. It's very much worth a read. It's the kind of book that I, like, straight after I finished reading it, despite the fact that I finished reading it while I was feeling awful, my first instinct was immediately to look it up and see if there were any lectures on it or like anyone who'd done any YouTube videos talking about it or anything like that. And, you know, I did find one who mentioned that there's actually a lot of references to the Quran throughout it because a lot of the characters are Muslim. The main character's name is Yusuf and he is a kind of astonishingly beautiful boy. That's kind of his main characteristic. It's something that people notice about him everywhere he goes. And I, knowing very, very little about the Quran or any Muslim history or tradition whatsoever, did not know this. And so I'm glad I looked up this video, but I was informed that this is actually something Something that appears in the Quran is Yusuf having this presence as someone who is angelically beautiful and someone who is noticeably beautiful. That's actually very a very direct reference to a story in the Quran. So there's a lot of extra meaning in this book that I didn't quite get to appreciate because of my lack of knowledge in this particular area. So I would really love to reread this at another time when I'm not feeling quite so unwell and when I can really kind of dive deep into the history involved. But it's one of these stories that's got 
a lot of depth behind it and I was very glad to have the opportunity to read this one because it's not one that would have kind of come across my path otherwise I don't think. The author is a Nobel laureate I believe, won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2021 I believe. So he's you know clearly very good at what he does and I would highly recommend giving this one a look if you're looking to kind of broaden your horizons in terms of historical fiction, historical literature. That sounds really, really fascinating. Was it purely realistic? Yes, very much realistic. Yeah, realistic historical fiction. Him being just ridiculously beautiful was just part of his personality. There was no actual Mm. kind of magic involved there. Although there were many characters who kind of thought that he might have a gift because he was so beautiful, which again, I didn't realize when I was reading it, but of course, According to the guy whose video I watched is something that because and I didn't realize at the time but all of the characters who thought that were Muslim and that is why they thought that is because he so closely reflected this character from the Quran okay interesting yeah. so there so were like all these maybe his name also influenced exactly that, yes um, yeah because his name was Yusuf because his name was Yusuf and he was so beautiful they thought that he might have this gift that would be able to help them or heal them or provide some kind of good luck or whatever and this and this was an ongoing theme throughout the book that I I was basically just thinking of it in terms of a more shallow like this man is really beautiful and he seems to his character his character's really interesting in that he remains quite innocent and naive for a lot longer than the rest of them do like he he needs a lot of things explained to him throughout which is a really good way to have a main character done so that the audience gets to have things explained to them in a way that it's not needing to have too much of a third narrative voice mm-hmm. you can just have it in the dialogue so it's done really well and it also makes the main character really empathetic and reminds you over and over and over again how young he is because I think he starts the book at 12 and then he finishes it at I think it only goes for six years I think he finishes it at 18 so he he remains very young and there's a an innocence and a naivety that kind of continues yeah it's beautifully done it got a 4.5 from me possibly if I knew more of the context around the Quran and other references that it was making it may have actually gotten higher because I would have known more about what it was referencing also possibly if I had been more uh well and less you know brain foggy when I was listening to it it may have gotten higher I think I possibly didn't appreciate it as much as I could have but considering that I was listening to it in a half brain fog state the fact that I could still enjoy it as much as I did (laughs) and still get enough out of it to give it a 4.5 I think probably speaks fairly highly of it so (laughs) I'm gonna just gonna leave it at that yeah that sounds really good definitely sounds like a transportive Yes, read. definitely. I don't know if that's a word, but like a yeah. read that transports you, you know? Yes, definitely. Interesting. Very interesting. I love like also unknown history. History you didn't that isn't part of the main Absolutely. canon or yep. conversation. Yep. Oh, there were also some really amusing commentary on um, people seeing white people for the first time and like what they thought <laughs> about that. And then right in the middle of the book, there were there were some really amusing comments that oh, it, it's it's the one time I don't like listening to audiobooks is because I always forget to write things down if I'm listening to an audiobook. Mm. But there there were a couple of comments made. Very, very prophetic comments made by one of the very, very much side characters who's barely in it, but he makes some kind of comment about like, 
white men not never never stopping and once they've owned once they've owned something they're gonna own everything and, and all that kind of stuff it was just kind of like <laughs> sorry but yes it's good interesting well my next read is i wouldn't say it's related but it's also a conversation on race and mm. history it's called elite capture by mm-hmm. ulfemi otawa and he basically it's very short it's like a three hour long audiobook mm-hmm. i didn't finish it i think i had like half an hour left but it was the kind of thing that i actually felt like I wanted to like put down and pick up again when I had more brain space, like Mm -hmm. not like in the future, just like next week, you know, because I think I listened to it like at the end of a work day and my brain was pretty tired and I wanted to give it more attention. And like you said, like listening to an audiobook, it's easy to not write things down or not keep track of things you might have otherwise underlined in a physical book. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've actually like bookmarked something in an audiobook because I always think I want to bookmark something and I don't actually take the time to open it up and bookmark it mm. i actually paused the audiobook opened up the app and bookmarked that spot because oh, wow. i thought, thought it was very fascinating and i'll get into like what that particular thing was and the general you know my feelings on the book because even though i'm very close to having finished it i feel like i, I still have more to process in it but essentially it's about the concept well i'll just read the the subtitle is how the powerful took over identity politics and everything Mm, else so it's about mm -hmm. how like the elite class sort of captured the idea of identity politics and how it's been sort of mutated Mm. into this you know false activism Mm -hmm. sort of concept it was really interesting because you know i living in new york in a very like political Mm. atmosphere surrounded by a lot of people my age who subscribe to a lot of ideas that I don't feel like I really have the authority to take a position on, you know, a lot of the time. And sometimes that can make me feel like, am I like a moderate? But like, no, if you look at the political spectrum, I'm absolutely not a moderate. But like maybe (laughs) to New York standards, it can sometimes feel like I am. And so it was very, you know, it was affirming and interesting to hear someone who professes their identity as being like liberal and shares a lot of the same like core beliefs and goals that I have, but takes a different approach or criticizes the the language mm. of modern liberalism and the ways that it's maybe not working. And so I thought that was very, very fascinating. Mm. And additionally, it touched on one of the particular aspects of activism or liberalism that does tend to make me uncomfortable, which is the way that we base everything off of these very broadly stroked identity markers, Mm -hmm. you know? We put people in categories that maybe they didn't need to be in, you know? I think I've, like, touched on before the fact that I don't know if I really want to be tracking, like, the identity of my authors, Mm -hmm. right, in in my Copile spreadsheet, because that's such a complicated question, and I don't think... Like, I I think that honestly buying into the idea that it's easy, black and white, you know, that we can like clearly identify someone just by what we read online or see in a picture really buys into the false concept of race that was constructed that is the basis for a lot of racism. So it's really complicated thing. And so it was really interesting to hear this educated sort of summarized perspective on this specific aspect of modern activism or it touched on a lot of different concepts and Mm. I want to dive more into it. And honestly, some Something that 
it made me think about was the book that I bought not too long ago that I hauled in their first episode of the year called How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell because Mm. it's about resisting the attention economy. And Ofemi, he talks a lot about how the attention economy drives identity politics Mm. in a lot of ways and how, you know, using very prescriptive labels in terms of like race or gender or ethnicity can boost the popularity or like clickbaitiness um, mm-hmm. of either posts or just ideas, slogans, you know, that twist or mutate an mm-hmm. idea that's more complex and nuanced. Yeah. And so he talks actually, he touches on the idea of resisting the attention economy. And so I was like, whoa, I kind of want to read these books mm. together or, you know, somewhat close together. So maybe that'll push up how to do nothing on my mm. TBR. But anyway, I'm really enjoying it. I want to give it one more listen through before I fully review it, but I think it's a recommended reading. It's very quick and easy. I would say the only critique I've had so far is that, gosh, the language is a little bit like sluggish. Like Mm. it's very academic and very like, not just academic, but like specifically like liberal academic. It uses a lot of language that I feel like maybe people who aren't exposed to that sort of liberal arts college, Mm. everyone's a socialist, everyone's a leftist, you know, kind of language or dialogue. So, well, on the other hand, I feel like the audience for it is for those people because they're the people that he needs to remind to maybe take it down a notch. (laughs) So, right. But I think also what's interesting about it, I mean, I don't think my criticism is that it's designed for one side of the political spectrum rather than the other. It's more just that it can be a little bit annoying to read because it's not (laughs) as like maybe entertaining or fun or, you know, it doesn't have so much reprieve while you're reading it, even though it's quite short. It feels a bit longer than it actually is. I actually think, though, that it could be attractive as an analysis to a spectrum of people between different political perspectives because it's not like arguing on one side of one particular issue it feels like a very neutral issue because it's more about class than it is about Mm. politics and obviously like there's a political leaning in different classes but there is also I think a shared frustration with the concept of the elite and how they influence us and how they sort of capture (laughs) as the book states capture a lot of our efforts to advocate for different issues that we feel frustrated Mm. about and so I think this could actually reach a broader audience. It does acknowledge certain political movements or like the protests of 2020 and stuff in this like positive light, which obviously has a political leaning. Mm. But I think the essential point of the book, which doesn't go into those instances too deeply, can be useful, interesting, accepted by a range of people, which I think is really important Mm. in a book about a political concept, something that's accessible to a wider range of people. Yep, sounds good. So what's your last read, Emma? My last read is my current read, which I just started this morning. It's The Storied Life of A.J. Fickrey by Gabrielle Zevin, and I'm very much enjoying it so far. It's got a much lighter writing style than Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, and it's very cute so far. Well, it's not not entirely lighter, because there's also some grief elements in it as well already. But yes, enjoying so far. Very much looking forward to continuing. It's much shorter than Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. It's like half the length, roughly. Not Maybe not half, maybe a little more than half, but definitely much shorter. So I will 
almost definitely get it done by the end of January. That's the plan anyway, because that is my buzzword challenge book for this month. <laughs> and uh, it was supposed to get read earlier in the month, but then my library hold for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which I thought wasn't going to be available until like halfway through February, ended up being available much earlier. So that kind of messed with my plans a little. So hopefully I'll get it read in the next couple of days. I can't imagine any reason why I wouldn't. Are you planning to do any kind of Zevin binge? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'll see how I go with my other February books is the answer to that. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. So my last read of the week is another Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. I started Much Ado About Nothing, which is oh. exciting because it's the next big name, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think I got like halfway through that one. I sort of listen to them non-linearly. I start, I go like 20 minutes in, I rewind. I start, I listen like an hour in, I rewind, you know? Mm. So I'm somewhat halfway through. I'll probably finish that one on like Monday or Tuesday at work. But that one is going well. Not so much to report on yet because I still am grasping the plot. I haven't mm -hmm. listened to it enough times to really understand the plot yet, but we'll get there. It seems to be just another of a similar sort of line of thinking, but I think I could be wrong, but I was getting more like queer vibes from this one. <laughs> you know, maybe not in the most positive way, but I think for Shakespeare it was a positive way, like uh -huh. references to homosexuality that were obviously in the play, like making fun of it or belittling it. But I think it the way it's done feels more like an opportunity for Shakespeare to acknowledge it you know, because like he wants to incorporate into his play or make light of it. It kind of sounded more, and maybe this is just my imagination, but it kind of sounded more like when queer people use gay as a jokingly derogative term, like not in a way that like straight people use queer or gay in a derogatory way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like a reclaimed way, okay. but that's also really hard to say because I'm not an expert on the time or on Shakespeare, but there was some like queer acknowledgement, which I enjoyed. Interesting. So I'll have more of a review on that next week. Cool. Looking forward to it. So what book did you add to your TBR this week that you want to share with us? I'm going to talk about one that has been recommended very strongly by both Books and Lala and Jack Edwards. It's Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. Yes, I want to read that. So this is a literary fiction horror. I might just read the blurb because that's probably going to be better than me trying to describe anything. So... Miri thinks she has got her wife back when Lee finally returns after a deep sea mission that ended in catastrophe. It soon becomes clear, though, that Lee may have come back wrong. Whatever happened in that vessel, whatever it was they were supposed to be studying before they were stranded on the ocean floor, Lee has carried part of it with her onto dry land and into their home. To have the woman she loves back should mean a return to normal life, but Miri can feel Lee slipping from her grasp. Memories of what they had before, the jokes they shared, the films they watched, all the small things that made Lee hers, only remind Miri of what she stands to lose. Living in the same space but suddenly separate, Miri comes to realise that the life that they had might be gone. I'm so excited to read that. That sounds so good. It does. And at 240 pages, it's a relatively short horror fiction. And anyone who manages to make a short horror fiction that works well and has characters that 
are in-depth enough that it's gotten incredibly high recommendations from two booktubers who usually have fairly disparate tastes mm-hmm. from what I've seen. Yeah. I figured it was probably worth a read. What's your pick? My pick for the week is Lonely Castle in the Mirror. Mm. It is a story set in Tokyo. It's actually a translated work. And I got this recommendation from the library email list that I'm on, Mm. and it sounded really good. It's set in Tokyo. There's seven students who are all, like, somewhat displeased with their life or have, like, troubled or difficult home lives. And they all find themselves looking into a mirror through which I think they are transported into some sort of fairy tale world. I don't know Mm. much more than that, but I kind of don't want to know more than that. That's exactly the amount that I want to know. It sounds really exciting. It has a beautiful cover. And I'm excited to read it at some point. I'm not like, I didn't, I added it to my TBR, but I didn't order it from the library. So I'm learning from my mistakes and taking it slow. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. Sounds good. I have some haul for today as well. And by some, I mean so much for no reason. And the best part is I didn't spend a dime on any of these books. So Mm. I'll tell you how. First of all, I was at my friend's house the other day who was one of my like reading friends in middle school back in the day. We read a lot of books. We bought a lot of books. We spent a lot of time in bookstores, Mm -hmm. but she sort of departed from reading. She still reads, but just like not to the degree that I do and not a lot of the YA that she owns. Mm-hmm. And so she said before that like if there was a book I wanted to take that I could have it and I finally was like, you know what? Let me pick at your shelves. Let's see <laughs> what I can get out of them because I was looking at my list of favorite books and like my reread books mm-hmm. that I've rated highly and realized that there were a handful that I didn't have on my shelf, but I felt that she probably had so I didn't want to order them. So I finally picked through, got those books, and I'll start with the books that I've already read because it's pretty much 50-50 books I've read and books I haven't read, starting with Before I Fall, which I read on this podcast, so Mm -hmm. I don't need to talk about too much, but it's a nice hardcover version of that, so it's nice Mm. to have. I'll definitely want to reread that in the future, so I'm glad I have a copy. The second one is Beautiful Redemption, which is, I think, the fourth in a series, the Beautiful Creature series, which was one of my favorite series back in the day that's on my reread list. It's a four-book series, And I have the second one. I have Beautiful Darkness. I didn't have any of the others. I still don't have the first or the third, Mm. but that's not like an immediate reread that I plan on doing. So I'll definitely acquire them at some point somehow. I think I'm going to read them both audio and text like together because I originally read them on audio and I remember they had really good background noises, music and stuff like that. That really contributed to the vibe of the reading experience. Are they the same edition? I believe so. Well, one is a hardcover and one's a soft cover. So no. They're the same edition in terms of the design, but so no. unfortunately they're not the same. Yeah. I don't know. I might like be okay with that depending on how I feel. There are certain series too that I really loved one book in, but I didn't care about the other ones like Divergent. I kept my Divergent copy because I love that book. It's a very, very good book, but Insurgent and Allegiant kind of take it or leave it. So Mm. I decided not to keep those. So I don't know. I know Beautiful Darkness is one of the less favorite of the books in that series because it's a bit slower and a bit sadder, but I think I'm going to wait until I am 
I'm actually in the middle of that reading challenge to make a call. Okay. Anyway, the next book, which was another reread challenge, highly rated book that I want to do somewhat soon is called These Broken Stars mm-hmm. by Amy Kaufman. This was one of my favorite books back in the day. It's a soap opera set in space type of thing. Mm. No, no. It's Titanic set in space is the sort of catch line uh-huh. of it. It's about a spaceship, cruise ship that crashes on a planet and the only two people that survive are like the rich girl who's like the father of the company and the working boy, uh, just a sort of stowaway or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't even remember really, but I remember really loving it. It was really beautiful. It was about their journey finding survival on this planet together, but also like putting up with each other. And then of course there's a romance. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I also have a second book that's not really in the series, but it's in the same world and has a very similar cover and stuff. And I went to the signing. I got my book signed. I bought it hardcover, brand new, never read it. If I want to read that one, because I never got to it, I don't necessarily have to read These Broken Stars. That one's called This Shattered Light, I believe. But I don't have to read These Broken Stars because they're not necessarily connected. But I might want to because it's on my reread challenge anyway, Mm -hmm. so I'll probably do them together. Mm -hmm. Then I got a handful of books I didn't read. One being Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. I never got on the Rainbow Rowell train. I know everyone loved her, everyone obsessed over her, and I think she might even still be making books. I don't know, but she was popular. She was like up there with Cassandra Clare and stuff. Everyone loved Rainbow Rowell back in the day and I never read her book. I think Rainbow Rowell might've been like just a little bit out of my age range. Mm. Like I think they may have come in like just after I was the right age to be reading those books potentially. Yeah, that makes it, well, because she wrote I missed a lot of, that entire like adult fiction too. Right, okay. She wrote Eleanor and Park, which you might have heard of. I feel like that's one of her more popular ones. And Fangirl. Those were her two most popular books, I think, at least back in the day. She also wrote some adult fiction, uh, one called Landline and one called Attachments. She writes these really fun stories, or at least the the plot sounds fun. I've never read one, but she writes these fun stories that have an interesting element. Like Landline is a story about a woman who's in a marriage that is not going very well but then she gets a call and it's her husband from the past and she gets to like talk to him and like sort of dissect what happened in their relationship I think. Hmm. Fangirl what's interesting about this one is that it's the story of a girl who gets really obsessed with this online comic and I don't know much more about that from just that singular book. I think it's just like about her love of it and maybe there's a romance, I'm guessing. I don't know. It's a contemporary YA book. Mm. But what's really interesting is that Rainbow Rowell then went to write a book about the comic. Like instead of a comic format, it's like a novel format, but it's the story of the comic It's called Carry On. Mm-hmm. So I also have that book. So I have Fangirl and Carry On, which sort of feel like a series, even though they're not technically, but I would definitely read Fangirl before I've read Carry On, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really cool because usually when you read books about people who love a book, you can't actually read that fictional book, right? Mm-hmm. But in this world, you can because she wrote it, which is really cool. So I'm glad to have those. I definitely want to do a Rainbow Rowell binge maybe at some point. Mm-hmm. That's been kind of piquing my interest lately. There are a few of these wide authors that were really popular back in the day that I never picked up on that I want to give a shot. She's one of them, so I'm glad to have those. Mm -hmm. Then I got two other books from this friend, one called This Song Will Save Your Life, and I don't know much about it. So the blurb says, you think it's so easy to change yourself. You think it's so easy, but it's not. Elise is not afraid of a little hard work. In fact, she embraces it. All her life, she's taken on big, all-encompassing projects. When she's 15, she embarks on the big 
biggest and most important project of them all becoming cool. Except she fails miserably and everything falls to pieces. So it's, you know, a cute-sounding YA. I think what draws me to it is the way it centers around music and how she uses music as a tool to overcome mental health issues or to be this guiding pole or this lighthouse, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the dark time in her life. And I thought that sounded really cute. And I remember being really interested in this book when we originally bought it. I think I might have either bought it for my friend or bought it and she somehow acquired it from my bookshelf at some point. I don't know. But I very much remember finding this and being attracted to it. So I'm gonna give it a shot. I didn't buy it. So mm-hmm. or at least I don't think I bought it. So there's no harm. I decided to pick it up. And then the last one I got from her is called Every Everything that makes you. And it's interesting. It's another YA contemporary fiction about a girl who gets into some sort of accident that leaves like a really intense scar on her face. Mm. And the book, what it does is has two different perspectives following the version of her that got into this accident and has the scar and is living with repercussions of the accident and the change in her image and all of this stuff. And then the other perspective is her life going on as if that accident didn't happen. Mm. So it's like similar events, but it's about the way that this accident changed her life and the different paths she would have gone on had she not gotten into the accident and all this stuff. So I thought that was really intriguing. And even though I know I said I was done with my traumatized teen stage, (laughs) you know, I have a feeling I just sort of like this genre, even if they don't tend to be books that rank really highly on my list, I find them really interesting. So I'll get back into that at some Mm -hmm. point and I'll have two books on my list to pick up when I do. Now, the last two books that I have to haul are from a library book swap I did the other day, which was really cool. I got a collection of Nella Larson stories, one of which I've read, Passing. Mm -hmm. And so this one I'm kind of counting as an already read book. So it's not contributing to my collection of unread TBR books, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But I haven't read some of the other stories. So I'll pick those up at some point. And I'm excited to get into them because that is one I also want to reread since I haven't read it in a long time. And then the other book I got was Pachinko, which everyone talked about last year I feel like and I'm very excited to have it it's not exactly the topic or like typical storyline that I would be attracted to it's very much about like you know generational trauma and like the passing of time and like how immigration affects this family and stuff like that which I think is interesting but it just isn't something I would pick up unless this book had been super hyped and it was so I feel like I should it's beautifully written plus it is a really beautiful edition and it was free so (laughs) it's a hardcover with the actual pachinko game on it and it's got this fun little foil butterfly oh that is beautiful You've read it? I have, yeah. I it, It's written beautifully. Wonderful. I'm excited. I don't know if I'll pick that up too soon, but I'm glad I own a copy now. Yeah, it's gorgeous, but it is a chonker. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a beast. It takes some commitment. So completely understandable if, if it's not like top of your list. Well, from there, I believe that concludes all of our bookish updates. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on to our segment for today, yes. which is a book tag. We haven't done one of those in a while. I'll just summarize summarize the tag really quick. Essentially, it's a get to know your reading taste kind of tag. It's called bookish contradictions or the contradictions 
book tag, different people call it different things I've seen on YouTube. It's got eight questions that are about the genres or authors or types of book you typically like, but then there being a book that you don't like of that particular genre or author, etc. So it'll be a great way to reintroduce our reading styles and preferences mm -hmm. because we haven't really talked about that very much in recent episodes. I think we introduced our reading taste a little bit in the beginning in our first episode of the podcast, you know, a while back, but maybe a good thing to sort of revisit that, talk about it a little bit, especially since we just reflected on our reading year of 2020. Mm -hmm. We did a lot more reading than I think either of us have done in a while, so we might have gained some new insight into our reading taste that we didn't have when we first did that summary episode. So this should be a fun one to get into. The creator is called Only If For A Page, and we'll link the original video in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the first question? So the first question is, I love this genre, but I didn't like this book. Not a question, but, <laughs> you know, prompt, I should say. This is a tough one for me because Storygraph shows my highest read genre as young adult, but I actually disagree that young adult is a genre. I think that's an age range, you know? Like, there are different genres within young adult and there are different genres within, I don't know, adult or new adult or anything like that. So I'm gonna just ignore young adult and look to my second most popular genre in my reading, which is fantasy. Which I do love fantasy and I'm gonna pick out a book that I didn't love So the book I'm gonna choose for this is called the paper magician Which I do feel bad saying I didn't love this book because it was a gift, but <laughs> I really appreciated the gift I just didn't love the book Unfortunately, it was like okay and it fit into something I would totally love in concept like in theory because it's about a magic system that involves bookmaking mm -hmm. or like using paper to make magic. It was about like this apprentice magician who was learning to be a paper magician and she was sort of depressed about it because there are all these different magicians you could be. You could be a glass magician, a metal magician, a flesh magician. Like there are all these different types of magician and paper magician was like the most boring one. But she learns to love it because it's actually really cool she finds out and there are all these things that she could do that she didn't realize she could do. And I thought it would be a good read because it totally hits so many like boxes for me that I would imagine I would like, but I did not like it. I think a lot of the reason was that it was very similar in concept to this book I really loved called The Binding by Bridget Collins, which is also about a bookish magic system in which there's a magic involved in the making of books and the binding of books. And that was a fantastic read. That was like one of my mm. best reads. I mean, it's high up on my list. So this book really did not compare at all. But also I think part of the problem was that there was just this really sort of uncomfortable and unjustified sexual attraction between between the main character and her teacher, which is, you know, not always a great like power dynamic in relationships. And it was just like kind of confusing because you didn't really feel like where that attraction was coming from, at least I didn't. And it just felt like she really threw aspects of her personality away or that the character maybe lacked personality in favor for this attraction being her personality, which I didn't really enjoy. I gave it a pretty scathing review. I rated it a 2.5, which on my scale is like between not good and meh. It's, it really took a beating when I first read it. In fact, actually, I had this book when I was at 
Disneyland and was reading it. And I think I lost it at Disneyland before I finished like the last chapter. I was so close to finishing it, but it was like the last chapter and it really wouldn't have made a difference because the plot had like fallen apart by that point. Mm. And I just abandoned it. I mean, I couldn't get it back. It was Disneyland. You know, there's no finding that book and I wasn't about to repurchase it. And I didn't even care enough to really look up a PDF or like an ebook of it. I don't think. I wrote a review on Storygraph that essentially says, don't bother with this book. Instead, read the binding. <laughs> so... That was that was a rough rough read for me. Fair enough. What about you? So I went to Storygraph and looked up like all time top genre, and turns out mine in terms of like all time reads is also young adult. But I think it's just because I've reread Harry Potter so many times. <laughs> so I went down to the second one, which is contemporary, which makes much more sense. And the book I've gone with is According to Yes by Dawn French which I rated a two. Dawn French is primarily known as a comedian, a comedic actress. Many people will know her best as her role as the vicar from The Vicar of Dibley. She's a a wonderful, funny person, but I hated this book. It was published in 2015. I read it in like mid-2018, I believe. I don't remember a lot about it, but it basically just seemed to be... The the basic storyline was a very kind of Mary Poppins-esque character is hired to look after some some children and then along the way she's basically just taken up this characterization of wanting to say yes to everything and that apparently includes like just sleeping with every man she comes across and it's just like it's supposed to be a very kind of empowering thing and like she's a plus size woman it was meant to be empowering and instead it just came across as just trash honestly Mm. like it just it just didn't have any substance it was just light and fluffy is fine but this was just nothing it just was nothing it had no purpose it had it just had nothing it was not memorable it had no purpose and i was very disappointed damn it wasn't it was meant to be funny and it wasn't it was just eh, like i can't i don't like anyone in this book it was just trash in my opinion. Yeah, you know, that happens. Yeah. Those come along every so wow, often. Wow, and I'm shame. not the only one. I just scrolled down. 2.94 is the average rating. Damn. Eek. Well, you know, lots of people have different ideas about feminism and what it means and yeah. what it looks like. And it's really hard to find a uh, communal definition that satisfies everyone in, like, what is a feminist text and what makes you feel empowered. So yeah. I'm not surprised because that, that's a hard thing to pull off, you know? But anyway. Yeah. The next question is I rarely read this genre but I loved this book Mm -hmm. so for me I looked at my least read genres and the one that I was the most surprised to see or not surprised because I know I haven't read that many books in it but I know I've loved the books that I have read in it is poetry Mm. so I only have three poetry collections on here one is a four star one's a 4.25 one's a 4.75 so they're all quite highly rated for me and just shows me that I really should read some more poetry I think it's hard to pick up maybe because there's not like a plot and I do love a plot. So I want to do more poetry reading. And the one I'm going to talk about for the book that I loved that falls into this genre is Love Poems by Pablo Neruda. I loved that. It was just such a beautiful read. And the edition that I had came with the Spanish and the English translation side by side. So I was able to like read the English translation, but also refer back to the Spanish and call upon the Spanish 
Spanish that I do know to sort of understand the implications of the words, especially in poetry. I cannot imagine how difficult it is to translate poetry that is so Mm. complex and so I thought this edition was really effective and I still have it I do want to reread it at some point but I also want to read more and other Pablo Neruda and other poetry so this is very much a call to commit to that and do that this year maybe because I remember loving the love poems and other books that fall into this category like this modern love although I don't know if that's really poetry because it's more like a collection of letters there's some poetry but that's also a very highly rated book that I love So definitely a genre I should dig into more. What about you? Well, I do have one in a category called Reference, Hmm. and it is a book that I've actually read a couple of times. I think I've only read it all the way through once, but I've owned it for several years. It's a little book called Gods, Demigods, and Demons, an Encyclopedia of Greek Mythology. It's a teeny tiny little pocket Hmm. encyclopedia. It's just a little, like, 234 pages, but quite a small... Did you read um, it cover to cover? I did. I did, in 2020. I read it cover to cover. It explains each of, like, the main kind of... Well, not even main, like, pretty much all of the um, Greek mythological characters, the gods, demigods, and demons. And it's a really good kind of reference if you are trying to dive into Greek mythology, but you kind of forget every now and again which name is which. It's a really well done little book. It's a very obscure choice. It's only been read by, like, 60 people on Storygraph, but seemed perfect for this particular prompt. So that's the one I'm going with. Wonderful. The third prompt in this tag is, I love this trope, but I didn't like this book. I think I'm going to go with Broken Things by Lauren Oliver because it is about or it's supposed to be about these girls that were supposedly accused of committing a murder when they were very young and it was the murder of their best friend and on the cover and in the blurb it really sounded like their situation or like the circumstances of this murder had like mystical slash magical implications that had to do with this book that they all really loved this fantasy novel about a world called Lovelorn and that they went into this world sort of Narnia style and that somehow maybe the evil character in this fictional book in their fictional world was responsible maybe for the murder of this girl and the town just didn't know because the book opens like I was accused of this murder but I didn't actually do it so you know early on at least assuming that the main character's perspective is sound that they aren't necessarily involved in the actual murder that it's a mystery to them because they spend the whole book like basically trying to discover who the actual murderer was. And that was such an intriguing plot because I had just read Narnia and I love the sort of magical realism twisting in with like thriller mystery and it had so much potential. I love Lauren Oliver. Back when I first reviewed this book months ago, what really frustrated me was that this plot that I was presented from the blurb really didn't pan out in any way that I expected because it gives you this impression that they're going between these two worlds, that it's like a magic system in which there's like this book world and the real world and that the book world has implications or has impacts on the real world, but it's not about that. It's about them sort of understanding their psyche as children and how this book impacted it and uncovering the mystery of this murder, but it's not magical. I'm just going to say that. I don't think that's a spoiler because that's a basic fact of the book. I mean, I think it maybe is trying to lead you into questioning if it's magical or not, but I 
I feel like that was really frustrating for me and that was why I didn't like it because maybe I would have liked it more if there wasn't this element. But also I think the possibility of there being magic was the most interesting aspect of the book and the fact that there just wasn't really made it fall flat because then there was nothing. Once that was disappearing, there was nothing left in my opinion. So I loved the concept that was supposed to be the trope of this book. And I wouldn't say I hated this book. I just didn't like it that much because it wasn't what I wanted it to be. Fair enough. What about you? I'm gonna go with Shadow of Night, which is the middle of the All Souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness, otherwise possibly better known as the Discovery of Witches trilogy. The middle book involves a time travel element, which is often a trope that I enjoy, but the way it's used in this book seems to just be used for the sake of using time travel and the book is super long and honestly really boring and in what would otherwise have been a mediocre but enjoyable trilogy it is easily the worst book of the three and I ended up giving it like a two star rating I think the other two books got a three or a 3.5 or something but it was still enjoyable enough this one got like a solid two because I was just getting through it to get to the third one because I knew that the third one would be resolving the story the, the middle one was just like like padding out it like it didn't need to be a trilogy i feel like that makes sense with a lot of second books you know a lot of second books and trilogies feel like filler to some degree yeah middle book syndrome is the worst yeah that was a shame the next prompt is i hate this trope but i liked this book i picked a book called the emperor of any place which is one of my favorite books it's rated a 4.75 star for me and it is about a young boy. It's dual perspective, so I think it's YA, but I don't know if it is because it's partially written from this teenager's perspective, but it's also partially written from his grandfather's perspective, but his grandfather back in history, like when he was in World War II. So it flips between the teenage boy whose dad he had a really close relationship with and the dad passed away. And so now the grandfather's coming in to take care of him and the dad and the grandfather didn't have a great relationship. So he, of course, sort of adopted that stand offishness towards this grandfather they have a difference in ideas and he's really hesitant about it and then he finds this journal that the grandfather had written while the grandfather was stranded on an island in japan during world war ii as an american soldier fighting against the japanese and he was stranded on this island with a japanese soldier and it's just the two of them alone trying to like survive together mm. and there's a lot of like dark twists and turns to the story there's even some magical elements which is really cool or i don't know if i would call it magical but more like like folklore elements. Mm. I guess it's sort of magical, but it's really interesting. And I loved the way that it affected the boy in present day and his perception of his grandfather and his changing relationship with his grandfather as he sort of like humanizes him through these stories, but also grows more suspicious of him based on like what he did at that time and the plot of what happened with him and this Japanese soldier and their story. So it was really, really beautiful and fascinating. The cover just blows me away. I love this cover. I bought this book solely for the cover and it was amazing. So it was one of those like books that really makes you justify buying books for the cover. And it had like a little bit of magic, but not like so much. I wouldn't call it fantasy, but it also wasn't like purely realism and sort of magical realism-ish. And I loved everything about this book. The trope that I didn't expect to like was war stories. Mm. I'm not really a war stories kind of person. And it did have a lot of perspective of these stranded soldiers and their experiences with war and their hesitance towards each other. There's actually, now that I think about it, is it a perspective of the Japanese man as well? 
I can't remember. I can't remember whose perspective you get in the diaries, if it's the grandfather's or the Japanese man's. I imagine it's the grandfather because the teenager can't read Japanese. But there was something I think, I think maybe the author gives you the Japanese man's perspective once or twice throughout the book, sort of separate from the diaries. But anyway, it fell into a category I wouldn't necessarily expect, or maybe it's that it did that trope differently. You know, it had a hint of this sort of war stories concept or trope, but twisted it and did something really cool with it with the dual time periods, the dual perspectives, and also the magical element. So I love this book. Highly recommend. What about you? For me, I at first I was like, oh god, I really don't know. And then it hit me. You know that miscommunication and assuming things trope that you and I both hate so much? Mm-hmm. You know that book persuasion that we both love so much? <laughs> Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, there's that one. That's, well, is it miscommunication? Yes, it is. Yeah, I guess it, it is. is. So the thing is. It's not like the annoying version, yes. though. It's not like, oh, he sees her in the room with another man and then decides he's never going to talk to her again. You well, know, it's not that annoying. I mean, but it does touch it does on those, touch sorts on of those sort of things. I guess there are moments. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, but so maybe it's more palatable. I don't uh, know. Is one example of that kind of trope in a way that it works. Emma also is basically like a series of those like and uh, basically a lot of the Jane Austen is a lot of the kind of miscommunication assumptions and misdirects like that's kind of the way that it works. The Regency period communication was very very different. Right. I think and so the context the exception. Yeah, so the context makes it okay. It is, I thought it was quite funny that one of my favorite books of all time is Emma and it also hangs very heavily on a lot of miscommunication over and over again. <laughs> so, yes. The fifth prompt in this tag is, I love this author, but I didn't like this book. Now, this is kind of a weird one because I feel like typically you like an author's work and you will like generally all of them similarly. At least I only have one author that really meets this category for me. And, and it's Lauren before Oliver? I did this Lauren... It is Lauren Oliver. You, you know that already. <laughs> Before I did the Lauren Oliver binge, I don't think I would have been able to name someone for this because I feel like I generally, even if I like certain books more than others, I generally will like them all in a similar range. But Lauren Oliver, you know, takes the cake. She did it differently. She made books that I absolutely love and are like some of my favorite books. And then also wrote Vanishing Girls, which was just bad. What happened, girl? What happened? I really, you know, she's like a local Brooklyn author and someone who is like small enough, I think that might even be someone we could interview in the future or something. So I'm like hesitant to like go too deeply into hating on this book, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just didn't like it. Maybe other people like it. I didn't get it. I just thought it was doing a lot of things, but not doing them very well. And then there are other books that had similar tropes that did it better. And that always makes it hard for you to overlook maybe underdeveloped ideas, having seen the idea done better, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I didn't like this book. It was essentially about two sisters and how they're very different and how the, I think the younger sister goes missing and the older sister is trying to find her or something. First of all, vanishing girls implies multiple girls vanishing. Only one girl vanished. 
That's the first mistake. Second mistake. Where do I begin? I don't know. I didn't like the whole sisters being total opposites thing. It felt really sort of cliche and not well executed just because I didn't buy into the characters. Both of them were annoying also. <laughs> I didn't like either of their personalities. Like they were completely different personalities and both not good ones. So <laughs> I couldn't really root for either of them and I didn't see myself in either of them. And I also didn't like sympathize with their frustrations because I just not thought that their perspectives were annoying, right? So that doesn't help. I thought that it really played into a lot of like stereotypical sibling competitiveness like mm. oh she's the really smart and put together one and I can never live up to that while the other sister is like well she's so free and she can do whatever she wants and mm. I don't know like it just didn't feel like he was adding anything new to the discussion yeah. and I was bored also by the twist and by the ending I thought I could write a better book. Not that I could write a better book, but that mm. I could think of a better idea for a book or a better ending to this book. So that, you know, kind of ruins the book. But it's weird because I love her writing. I love her ideas. I love her portrayal of young people. I didn't like any of those things mm. in this book. Fair Happens, I guess, Fair right? Enough. Does Harry Potter and the Cursed Child count? I would argue no, because I would argue, I don't think she wrote that. <laughs> well, it's an original story by her, and then the guys wrote the actual like screenplay or stage play or whatever. The story is by her. Right. And the story sucks in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the story had potential. Mm. I think the story had potential, mm. though. I hated it. I hated it. I mean, that's fair. You know what? You hated it. You hated the reading experience, and she's one of the listed authors on the cover of yeah. the book, so... That's the best you're gonna get from me, I think. I, look, I, I, I read repeat authors so rarely, and the ones that I do reread, it's usually because I love their books. Fair. That's the best I can come up with, so I'm gonna stick with it. Now the next prompt, the sixth prompt, is I previously disliked a book by this author, but I loved this book. It's a very diplomatic way to say I didn't like this author, but... Well, not necessarily. It could have been, like, one book of theirs that you didn't like, and then you tried them again. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't think I have a book for this category. Me neither. Absolutely nothing. So I think we're going to skip this yep. one because I don't have it. We're not good at, what we're not good at getting second one. chances. But I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Question seven is, I love this cover, but I didn't like this book. My pick is another semi-recent read, Belzar by Meg Wolitzer. I love the cover of this one. It's super fun. It's like a gray picture or black and white, you know, picture of these very angsty teenage symbols, like a pair of Vans it looks like, a Joy Division t-shirt, a computer, I think, a copy of the bell jar and over-ear headphones. I don't know. It's like very like angsty looking. Mm. And it's got this really striking, beautiful, bright neon yellow text as the title over the top of it. And I remember finding this cover to be really stunning. Maybe it's more of a physical cover thing. I'm not sure because I'm not so struck by it now that I'm seeing it on Storygraph. But I think especially like the matteness versus the shininess of the words. So like the picture is matte. It was very pretty when I bought it. And I really wanted this book to be good. And I remember my friend reading it before I read it and saying it wasn't good and really resisting that because... I wanted to believe it was good because it was just so pretty and I read it I mean it wasn't the worst book I've ever read but it wasn't very good that's okay 
You know, I think I rated that a 2.5. Unfortunate. It happens. Yep. Mine is a relatively recent read, so I won't go into it because I went into it very thoroughly two episodes ago, so you can go back and listen to that. You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akweke Mezi. It has two kind of main different covers. The one that I looked at mainly, which is a pink background, a, a hand with some intricately painted nails, and a ring hanging on a chain, which actually has quite nice significance to the book having read it and the title is kind of on the hand it's quite a nice cover very nice very intriguing and you can hear my thoughts about it in detail (laughs) in the episode from two weeks ago the last one is i don't like this cover but i liked this book i think i'm actually going to make a semi-bold statement because this is a pretty popular book and i don't feel like i've ever heard someone complain about this cover but i don't like the covers for an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. I, I don't like yep. the robot on them or the alien, whatever you want to call him. The automaton. I don't know. Carl. That's his name. I forgot what his name was. Carl. I'm not a fan of it either. It's a bit uh, like it's it's First of all, I don't love the colors. No. But I also feel like they are Hank Green colors, yeah. so I can appreciate that. Like I can appreciate this is something that's associated with Hank Green. I don't like that the Carl. The colors for the sequel are terrible. Ugh, I know. And neither of them are good, in my opinion. And the Carl on them I don't know for some reason I don't like because I have just such a different imagination of what Carl looked like I mean not that it gives you so much it still leaves a good amount to the imagination but I just still feel like it's too much it almost reminds me of like a face on a cover I don't want to see it I like my version and I feel like there could be other more interesting things done with this cover Mm. so unfortunately that's my pick for this one that's fair that's fair. Uh, slightly more obscure, well, much more obscure book choice than that. So this is a book called No Sex in the City by Randa Abdel-Fattah. She's an Australian author. It's a semi-romance novel, kind of. I loved this when I read it, admittedly, quite a while ago. That's probably coming up for a reread at some point. It's essentially a book about a Muslim woman trying to date. Of course, Muslim women aren't allowed technically to date and therefore when she meets people she then has to explain to them that they're not actually allowed to do anything when she's meeting up with them. It's very amusing read but the cover is terrible. It's like a woman in a very short wedding dress next to a cab and it's like there's no face it's just kind of like the like shoulders down. The sex in the city part is silver chrome typeface and then the no is like a magenta pink over the top and it's incredibly busy messy looking cover and it's just hideous but it was a good book it was yeah i don't know if i'd enjoy it as much now as i did when i was a teenager but i enjoyed it at the time i gave it five stars at the time so very cool and that is the end of the tag i hope that it was fun to hear more about our particular book tastes and the exceptions to those rules yep. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this tag with me that was so much fun i'm glad we're doing tags again yes me too lots of fun thank you everyone for listening we have been books without borders and you can contact us to you know just get in touch or give us suggestions tell us what your answers to this tag would be if you want please do we would love to hear from you our email address is bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com that's bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com that's as always in our show notes along with a list of every book we mentioned in this episode and some other resources we mentioned as well thanks everyone we will catch you next time see you then thanks guys Thanks, bye.